We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire DFS Podcast MMA Edition. I'm back here with my co-host John Littering. I'm Josh Hayes. You can follow John on Twitter at John Littering. That's L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can always check me out on Twitter at Josh Hayes FS. We are talking DraftKings MMA UFC 195 preview, January 2nd. We've got the main card here with the main event championship fight between Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit. John, last time we talked, um, there were some couple brutal losses from some top level fighters here. Um, let's get back into the mix here for our MMA. It's kicking off the 2016 uh, MMA and UFC season here for DraftKings. How are you feeling about this card overall? Uh, first uh, show that kicks off uh, for the UFC. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that this card, I don't think anyone would question that. It certainly doesn't have the depth that, you know, the Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor card had or. Some of the other ones we've seen over the you know the later part of 2015, but this main event between Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit is you know it's just a gift from the MMA gods. This is I don't see any way this is anything other than an insane back and forth fight. Yeah, I, the way I'm looking at this here too, I mean, if you I I I, I this had a lot of like hype and you know pressure for them to live up to i love the fact that you take a look at this here and we might as well just dive into this welterweight championship here um and just quickly want to mention that robbie Lawler is minus 120 and carl on carl's content is plus 100 and robbie Lawler does have a lot to live up to because that rory mcdonald fight that he had was an absolute war probably you know top three fight of the year if not uh, one of the best uh, fights overall i mean uh, obviously you can give conor mcgregor and holly home nods for their amazing wins in the fashion that they did so but that was the like a back and forth battle and you thought that rory was winning at one point and lawler was winning the next and next thing you know um you know he crumbles so a lot to live up to but th- this could be the fight that matches that level of intensity so before we dive deep into the matches here uh let's go ahead and talk about the scoring options on DraftKings for ufc 195 significant strikes are half a point advanced advances are one takedowns are two points reversals or sweeps are also two and you knock down you get three points if you end the fight in the first round you get an extra 100 points second round uh, win is worth 70 third round win is worth 50 
fourth and fifth round wins are worth 40 points. And if you go to the lowly decision, you only get 25 points. You definitely don't want that when picking your fighters. Um, as we noted here in John's article, which you can, by the way, check out on rotowire.com. If you click on the MMA section here, it's right there at the top. DraftKings MMA UFC 195 preview. Does a great job with all of his articles covering uh, UFC and MMA all season long for us here at Rotowire. Um, so make sure you check that out. And um, as noted in, at the top of the article, significant strikes or any distance strike or clinch or ground strike are considered power strikes by the official scores. And advances on the ground include to half guard, side control, mount, back control. Basically any sort of positive move that you can do while you have your guy on the ground. So we're talking about the main event here card. Um, 26 and 10 for Robbie Lawler. A lot of those losses racked up early in his career when he was a completely different fighter. Sort of had to work his way up to, uh, through the ranks to strike force. Back to the UFC Championship in the welterweight division, facing an absolute monster in Carlos Condit. He's 30 and 8. DraftKings prices have them so close, just like the Vegas odds that we just mentioned here. Uh, 9,800 for Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit at 9,600. How do you end up seeing this fight shaking out? You know, this is very close as both the odds and the DraftKings salaries indicate. Robbie Lawler is, I don't think anybody would disagree, you know, he's not the same fighter as he was, you know, even a couple years ago. He, he a couple years ago, he moved full-time to South Florida to train with the guys at American Top Team. And ever since then, he's, you know, he's become a totally different fighter. Um, he's won seven of his last eight. You know, the lone loss in that mix was the um, for the uh, vacant UFC welterweight title when George St. Pierre gave up his title. Him and Johnny Hendricks fought, and Hendricks took a unanimous decision in that one. But even that was a close fight. But like you said, the the fight with Warrior McDonald last July was absolutely insane. It was by many people, many different websites named it the fight of the year, just back and forth. And, you know, if there's one thing about Lawler, he's, you know, he had, a, this fight was supposed to take place in November. Lawler suffered a thumb injury, so it got pushed back a couple months. But Lawler's been active. You know, he fought four times in 2014. He only fought in the McDonald fight in July of 2015, but he took so much punishment in that fight that it was, you know, it was going to be tough for him to get back in before the year ended. So Lawler's been active and he, you know, he's been in there and, you know, the only, the only negative you could, you know, the only thing you can really say about Condit that you're a bit worried about is, you know, he hurt his knee. He had, you know, reconstructive knee surgery after his loss to Tyron Woodley in March of 2014. And, um, he's only fought once since then he fought in May against Tiago Alves and, you know, he absolutely battered him. That fight ended up being stopped by the doctor, so he clearly won that fight. But the only, you know, the biggest advantage I think Lawler has, at least now, is he's been in there more often or more recently than than Condit has. And you know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, will look at the camps in this fight and they'll say, you know, Condit has Greg Jackson behind him, who just came up with the game plan that helped Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey. And so obviously he's from a great camp. And then you look at, you look at Lawler and you look at all the guys in American top team and what's going on down there. And they're obviously a great camp. So, you know, I think that kind of washes out, you know, both guys will come in ready to go. And I pick Lawler in this fight if for no other reason, simply because he's been more active and because I've seen him at least recently, I've seen him take a beating and I know, I know he can handle it. He got, like you said, he got absolutely obliterated in that Rory McDonald fight. And he stood in there and he hung with it. And, you know, there, like you said, back and forth for a while, it looked like Lawler was going to win. Then it looked like Condit, uh, excuse me, it looked like McDonald was going to win. Then it swung back to Lawler. And both guys were battered. But I, I, you know, Lawler took the beating and, you know, he kept on ticking. And, you know, Lawler is known for, you know, his massive knockout power, which he's always. Condit is also known for his striking, but Condit is more of a um, more of a combination, you know, always aggressive, stay in your face type guy. So, you know, I like Lawler in this fight, but not by much. I think the odds and the DraftKings salaries pretty much got this right. And you know, the other thing you have to keep in mind is 
Carlos Condit has eight losses in his career, and you know he's only been stopped. You know he's only been you know knocked out once in his whole career, so he's extremely durable. So you know I actually would not be surprised in the least if this fight went the distance. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if Condit won, but I think based on what we've seen from them lately, and just due to the activity level of Lawler and who he's been in there with. He's just not the same fighter who was inconsistent early in his career. And um, he's my pick. All right. So, you know, I'm with you on Robbie Lawler. Um, so I want to get into something you touched on here before I dive into to the uh, uh, fight metrics here for this championship fight. Robbie the Ruthless Lawler versus Carlos the Natural Born Killer Condit. I always told myself I'd sort of work in the nicknames for better <laughs> or for worse. If you're one of those, you know, WWE guys who feels like, you know, you, you like that stuff or you, you're a, a Bruce Buffer fan, then there you have it. Um, we, we take a look at... Uh, you mentioned the, the winning streak for Robbie Lawler, four-fight win streak, last loss to Hendricks, and he avenged that loss there two fights ago. You know, back and forth, uh, epic win, career-defining win for maybe uh, him against Rory McDonald, who was the favorite in that fight, and stopped, uh, you know, uh, up-and-comers like Jake Ellen, Ellenberger and um, Matt Brown. And, you know, the, the five-game stretch or fight stretch for Condit stretches so far back. Like you talked about the, the massive layoffs that he had. One of his – he's lost three of the last five fights, but one, two of the last three. But one of, the, of those three losses were actually to George St. Pierre way back when. And he also has a loss to Johnny Hendricks and to uh, Tyron Woodley, two guys who are sort of – I don't, I don't want to say gatekeepers, but, you know, who are definitely in the mix for uh, another championship fight, um, you know, regardless of what happens um, this side. They could be just be waiting for either one of these two fighters. So it doesn't look great on the resume from that perspective. The momentum in, in SARS, um, you, know, you know, experience fought, fought more ring, ring rust, I guess, or octagon rust, we'll call it, all seems to be in favor of Robbie Lawler. Now we take a look at the tail of the tape here as well um you know both of these guys are are people who make it into the third round 10 point 10 and a half minutes average fight time versus 12 minutes uh roughly for carlos condit uh 5 11 versus 6 foot 2 for condit so he's a little bit taller um both you know should be checking in right around 170 one inch reach advance for condit really not matters too much um southpaw stance robbie lawler by the way so that could be something that makes a difference and robbie lawler is actually two years younger than carl's condit but those guys are you know still relatively right there in the, in the prime of their careers uh for the most part take a look at these significant strikes as well these guys are like mirror images of uh, of each other with the exception that uh robbie lawler has taken a bit more damage you take a look at strikes lineup per minute 3.49 to 3.41 so they're even there striking accuracy a little bit more uh in the favor of robbie lawler 44 percent Striking accuracy versus forty percent for Condit, and that's this is where we we talked about too. So if Condit's able to be accurate and land more damage, uh, Robbie Lawler doesn't do as good a job of defending himself from those strikes. He absorbs three point three nine strikes per um, per minute uh, as opposed to Condit at two point two eight. Um, but he has a better defensive rating somehow. So I guess there's just a ton of volume that he sort of, Robbie Lawler, makes up for it. And we do know that he's an offensive guy that does have the knockout power. 62% of the strikes defense uh, per round uh, for Robbie Lawler versus 57% for Carlos Conde. And then just quickly to touch on the grappling, neither of these guys are really submission um, specialists. They want to strike. They want to bang it out. They, they have the ability to do so. Uh, takedown defense is 67% for Robbie Lawler versus 39% for Condit. But we know uh, that Robbie Lawler just doesn't attempt submissions. He's got an average of zero att- submissions attempted for 15 minutes. So this is just not part of his game. And because he has decent takedown defense or they and or his willingness to strike and to take strikes people have chosen over and over to strike with him and have for the most part failed so um i'm going with lawler but like i said with um like you mentioned there as well will not be surprised if carl carl's conduct comes out on the uh upside of this matchup all right we're going to move on to the co-main event here it's stipe miosic uh versus andre arlovsky there uh miocic 13 and 2 with uh, zero t- uh, no decisions or no contests. Andre Arlovski coming in off a sketchy uh, win in his last matchup, 25 and 10 with one no contest. DraftKings salaries have Miocic at uh, favored here uh, in, to the tune of $10,500 in terms of salaries. Arlovski is a bargain at 8,900 if you feel like he has a legitimate shot. Vegas odds has Miocic at minus 235, Arlovski at plus not 195. How do you see this fight shaking out? Well, you know, this it's not out of the realm of possibility that the winner of this fight could get the next heavyweight title shot. Um, 
obviously, you would have to think right now the leading contender would be Alistair Overeem, who's been on a roll and just you know finished Junior Dos Santos a couple weeks ago. But Overeem is uh, a free agent. The, the fight against Dos Santos was the last fight of his UFC contract. And, you know, while it's certainly likely that he'll re-sign with the company, anything could happen. So um, is, is an outside chance the winner in the, of this one could end up with a title shot. And, um, you know, it's really amazing that we're at this point where, you know, Arlovsky could potentially be one fight away from a title shot. This was a guy who, you know, not all that long ago looked like his career was more or less done. Um, he returned to the UFC in June of 2014. And since then he's won four straight fights, Brendan Shaw, Bigfoot Silva, Travis Brown, and Frank Mir. So, you know, he's beaten well-known names, but I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know, naturally, Naturally skeptical, but I'm just not, I'm not all in on Arlovsky yet. You know, I don't really, I, he's 36 years old and I don't really see, how, you know, where he's made such great advances from, you know, the guy who was struggling. You know, I don't see that he's fought better, obviously, because he's beaten good guys, but I don't see that much of a difference in his fighting that I think he is a legitimate threat. Now, Miocic is one of the better heavyweights in the world. I don't think there any. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Miocic's best asset is that for a heavyweight, he, the guy's a terrific athlete. His footwork, his movement, in and out. You know, he never stands still. He's a lot like Cain Velasquez in that sense, where he's always moving in front of you and you know, rarely stands in the same spot. You know, over and over. Now, obviously, obviously that can change after you get hit, and you know. You're just thought it's tough to move. But Miocic is another guy who's been on a good roll. Won four of his last five. Wins over Roy Nelson, Gabriel Gonzaga, and Mark Hunt. His only loss to it was to Dos Santos. So I think it's right that Miocic is a clear favorite in this fight. You can certainly make the argument that, um, that Arlovsky has fought better competition lately. But I'm just, I'm still not. Miocic is younger. I'm just not all in on Arlovsky yet. You know, I would be, if he wins this fight somehow, I would definitely, you know, be ready to say, wow, you know, this is an impressive guy who's certainly, certainly on the upswing, even at his advanced age, but I'm not buying it yet. Um, I like Miocic in this fight and, you know, people always talk about, people have been talking about the knockout Arlovsky picked up over, over Travis Brown. And, you know, obviously it was a great finish, but what people always never mention on the, on the other side is that Arlovsky took a pretty good beating himself in that fight. It only it lasted less than a round, but both guys went back and forth and, you know, really threw at each other. So, you know, if, if Arlovsky didn't have such a good chin, he could have gone down in that fight because he took a lot of damage. So, I, I like, as I could easily see the Condit-Lawler fight going five rounds i don't think this one's gonna go for i don't think this one's gonna go the distance um i like miocic and if i was trying to looking at an underdog you know to throw in my lineup arlovsky wouldn't be near the top of the list for me yeah you know what the only thing that's sort of um i'm with you by the way on cba miocic i i think he's he's younger he's a better striker he's a better athlete than arlovsky if this was arlovsky from like five years ago i think we'd be talking about a better fight but just the way that he sort of gassed against uh in, in that fight um that he, he I believe his last fight was against Frank Mir. Yes, I, I thought that he was going to be able to be in better shape and handle Frank Mir, and he looked almost older than Frank Mir in that match. It was like watching you know you know two two grandpas fight yeah, in the was, street. That was a lousy fight both ways. It was terrible. It was like it was almost as bad as a. Uh, uh, Rochehold, uh, in uh, in the in the last card there, as well, it's just a lot of slap boxing and people who look like they weren't in in, in the right sort of shape. But Stipe held his own, and I think one of his most impressive fights actually was against a guy who's um, relentless in Roy Nelson. And since then, he's gone on to get wins against Gonzaga, Maldonado. You know, a little bit of a hiccup and a loss against JDS, but then comes back against Mark Hunt, who's been mentioned and and like as a fan favorite, as people want to see as a guy to um, push for a title fight here. So I. I think all the 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 youth and um, the the ability where they are that their points in the career all points toward Miocic. The only thing that's sort of holding him back is the price on DraftKings, which is ten point five k. So if you 
pick him in your lineup, you're going to have to get somebody into the low nines or a couple underdogs in the low nines, maybe even a sub uh, $9,000 player in order to make it work. I think he is probably one of the safer uh, big favorites at minus 235 that I don't mind rolling into my DraftKings lineup uh, there as well. So just quickly running through the fight metrics there as well. Um, both about the same height, 6'3", 6'4". Uh, Miocic is three years younger. He has a three-year reach, reach advantage. They're both orthodox. Now, this is where they sort of separate themselves. Um, in the striking category here, strikes landed per minute, 4.81 for Miocic versus 3.14 to Arlovsky. So he's busier. He's more accurate. Miocic, 49% striking accuracy versus Arlovsky at 40%. Strike up board per minute, he takes more shots, but he throws a lot more to it as well. The defense is actually pretty even, 60% of strike defended versus 63 for Arlovsky there as well and Arlovsky actually has a reputation or had a reputation at least in his first round uh, through the ESC before he got cut for being a guy who um, will back straight up into a into a fighter which is the last thing you want to do against an aggressive fighter who throws a lot of strikes because that's the quickest way for you to get hit, like head kicked or knocked out and um, I don't think that really he, he's really changed that much in his game um, too much the, despite the the what's supposed to be a positive ship. I believe in the, the Greg Jackson camp, if I'm correct. Is that right for um, Arlovsky? Yeah, um, there was that in because there was um, there was the deal with Arlovsky and Frank Mir both turning out of out of Greg Jackson's camp, and Arlovsky. I know Arlovsky spent a lot of time in. I I, I want to say I believe Chicago. I want to say is mm-hmm. where he's fighting out of now. Yeah, he's from Chicago. Yes. So, you know, I'm sure he's still, even when guys leave camps, it's very rare that unless, you know, unless you're talking like a, uh, you know, like a Uriah Faber, you know, Bang Ludwig thing where, you know, it's highly publicized um, breakup. A guy rarely totally leaves, a, you know, would totally leave a camp. You know, I'm sure he, he a guy might do his majority of his training somewhere else, but uh, he certainly, I'm sure, would still get you know, guidance and would still check in with his old coach. So, you know, uh, there's no doubt that, you know, it's not like Miocic is from a big camp either. You know, Miocic fights out of Ohio. He fights out of the same camp as, um, as Jessica I does. So, you know, I don't think what, as you know, as opposed to the Lawler and Conda fight where you have, you know, Greg Jackson's camp and American top team, I, you know, that's not the kind of thing you're looking at here either way. All right, all right, fair enough. Um, the one thing I will, will say is uh, something that uh, could be a little bit interesting if it happens. I don't know if it will happen because it looks like these two guys are generally guys who want to strike. Um, Miocic will make uh, an attempt to get some takedowns in, an average of two takedowns, 2.16 takedowns per 15 minutes um, in, in this fight here. Takedown actually 34% versus 40%. T- defense for him, 70% of takedowns defense for Miocic. Um, Arlovsky defends actually pretty well at 85%. So it looks like if he actually gets an edge, that's one more sort of well-rounded complete uh, option that he has in his game, uh, you know, but no submissions attempted. So if Miocic is on the ground, he's really just trying to ground and pound you out uh, for the most part. So my uh, my pick is Miocic, and I believe you're with me as well. It just sort of depends if you can make the salary work out with the, the other two underdogs that you're going to end up needing to take. Um, I believe we're in agreement here, correct? Uh, yeah. You know, like you said, Miocic, I, you know, I think he's a clear favorite and would certainly be my pick to win. But, you know, I, I wouldn't call him certainly a dominant fighter in you know like some of the other guys in the ufc so like you said it's it's a big it's a big it's a large amount of money on your salary to commit to him yeah absolutely all right we're going to move on to the welterweight division here with Lawrence larkin 16 and 4 with one no contest versus albert tumanoff 16 and 2 draft king salaries have larkin at 9300 versus tumanoff at 10.1k larkin is a plus 185 dog versus tumanoff minus 225 for the vegas odds how do you have this fight in the welterweight division shaking out for uh the winner and for DraftKings. this is a terrific fight you know this is not a fight that will get talked about with some of the other fights on the card but this is a really really good fight um tumanov is probably one of i would say tumanov is probably one of the five or six top fighters in the ufc that no one ever talks about you know if you ask you know, the casual or even maybe more than casual UFC fan about Albert Tumanov, they won't be able to tell you anything about him. But the guy is a, as far as striking goes, you know, you're going to be in tough to find anyone who has the, the credentials that this guy does. Um, from, you know, obviously from Russia, 
He has a Russian National Master of Sport uh, degree in boxing, and he has a Master of Sport degree in hand-to-hand combat. And I know it seems like all these guys have Master of Sport in something, but, um, you know, it's obviously he's an absolutely all-world striker. And um, we saw that his last fight against Alan Joban in October was just one of the most brutal beatings, both head, you know, he landed a gigantic head kick, finished him off with punches. He is, you know, it wouldn't by no means surprise me if a year from now, Albert Tumanov is a legitimate top five, uh, top five welterweight. And um, Lorenz Larkin is, you know, Lorenz Larkin is really good in his own right. You know, people... People forget that this is a guy who defeated Robbie Lawler when they were in strike force. So, you know, he certainly has he certainly has that ability. And, you know, he's fought most of his career at middleweight and the results were, you know, he was kinda inconsistent. He beat a couple guys, but then he struggled against other guys that he probably should have beat. But um January twenty fifteen, earlier this year, he dropped down to welterweight, and since then he's picked up back-to-back knockout wins over John Howard and um, Santiago Ponzinibbio. So Larkin's definitely been a better fighter at welterweight. He, you know, he's, he certainly seems to have more power. Um, he hasn't had any problems making the weight cut. So, you know, certainly good things for him down a division. Um, I like Tumanov to win simply because I just think he has more. I, these are two guys who just strike. You know, this is that's their game. I would be shocked if this is anything other than a complete stand-up fight. Um, I like Tumorov to win just because I think he has more, a more varied arsenal on the feet. But, um, you know, I don't think Larkin's a bad play at that price. He's certainly down in, in the welterweight division, certainly has, you know, has the power to knock out anyone. So if you're putting together your lineup and you decide that, you know, you need someone who is a little cheaper, um, Larkin certainly is not a bad play. He would be right up. He would be pretty high up there in terms of me um, putting an underdog in my lineup. All right. The way I, I see the shaking out, too, I'm going to agree with you there, by the way, with, with Tumanov, too. And uh, if you get into a point here where, um, you know, you're, you're, in, in a money crunch on your, with your salary on DraftKings, I have no problem flipping from Miocic to Tumanov um, in in the spot. And you take a look at the uh, the favorites, you know, minus two twenty five for Tumanov, minus two forty five for Miocic. So Vegas feels like they're fairly um, consistent favors uh, favorites, but you get a little bit of a, a cost saving there in, in, in the form of four hundred dollars. Now, and the fight metrics sort of shake out the same way that we talked about Miocic. Um, in his fight too uh, against Andre Arlovsky, the exception here is we're not talking about um, two guys here who are you know um, at that similar age, just two years apart from him. I mean, uh, uh, Tumanov is is a much younger guy. We're talking about somebody who's what uh, 2001 to 24, 25, I think, um, or just turned um, 25, I believe, versus uh, Larkin, who's, uh, looks like he's 31. Yeah, Tumanov was, yeah, Tumanov turned 24 just the mm. other day. Oh, 20, yeah, 24. Uh, yeah, my apologies, I was trying December to give him an extra year there. Yeah. December 91, he's, he's, he's really young. Yeah, he's a baby, and he's a monster, too. He does turn up the striking here as well, um, 3.91 strikes per, um, per minute uh, in the fight there versus uh, Lorenz Larkin who's at 3.35. 42% striking accuracy versus Larkin, a little more accurate at 46%. Strike absorbs per minute, 2.45 versus 3.54. This is the same sort of formula that Miocic does. He throws more volume, but he takes more shots there as well. Lawrence Larkin does a little bit better uh, in terms of defense, defending 64% of his strikes versus Tumanov at 59%. So if Larkin's able to catch him uh, when striking, you know, since he is a little bit more accurate and defends a little bit better, that could be in his favor. But for the most part, there's just going to be much more volume expected to come from the younger fighter in, in Tumanov. And grappling really is just like a non-factor, uh, less than half a takedown for, or less than a quarter of a takedown for Larkin for that matter. I mean, you take a look at the momentum here too. Four-fight win streak here for Tumanov versus... Uh, uh, three losses followed by two wins to get Lawrence Larkin into the matchup. So I feel fairly confident in using Tumanoff. Just sort of makes it's come down to whether it makes more sense for you to use him or um, Miocic. If I had to choose between the two, I probably would prefer Miocic um, in my spot. But if if it comes down to like a you know a like I said dollar for dollar thing where you need to save those extra four hundred dollars, Tumanoff could be a good um, pivot play for uh, one of your top favorites in your DraftKings lineups. 
All right, two more fights to break down here. Then we go um, rapid fire around in the, in with the lightning with the, the rest of the um, uh, fights that are off the main card. But we're going to talk about the featherweight division now. And Diego Brandao, 24 and 10 versus Brian Ortega. Uh, Ortega undefeated here, 9 and 0 with one no contest. I don't know, does a no contest still con? con uh, you still consider a guy undefeated? If he's got a no contest on his record, how do you treat that, John? Yeah, no, I still consider him undefeated. You know, there's so many different things in this sport that can lead to no contest. It's generally, it's usually an injury in the middle of a fight. So I, I would still consider somebody undefeated with a no contest. Okay, fair enough. So he is undefeated in the in the USA. DraftKings salaries have this uh, with Brando as um, fairly cheap overall as a plus one ninety uh, dog here. Ninety one hundred is the salary for Brando versus Ortego at ten point three k. He's a minus two thirty favorite. Sort of same situation here in the last two fights that we mentioned here. A pretty big favorite with the salary matching up with that. Um, what's going to be your pick and why in this matchup? Um, this for me is. Um, this fight is clearly in favor of uh, Brian Ortega. And people, you know, Ortega is another guy, a lot like Tumanov, who no one ever talks about. Um, young guy, just 24 years old, um, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he has some of some of the best ground skills you will ever see in the featherweight division. Um Nine and zero, like you said, four of the nine wins are by submission. But this guy is just an absolute wizard on the ground. He can finish. He can finish fights from any position. Um, he's shown a good chin, he, so he, you know, he's shown an ability to take punishment as well. And I like the fact that at just twenty four, he's you know continuously improving. And, you know, Diego Brandau, you know, is what he is. You know, he's been around a while. Um, still only 28. Seems like he's seems like he's older than that. Um, been in the UFC since December 2011. But, he, you know, he's... Brandau, he, you know, he's a good wrestler. Um, racks up over three takedowns a fight. And Ortega's takedown defense, if, you know, there's some aspect of his game that you want to say during his you know brief UFC run has been a weakness it would be his takedown defense his takedown defense is right at 50% which you know isn't very good so i expect i expect brandau to try and um you know get this fight to the ground and just maintain top position and try and ride ride this to a decision but the problem with that is the minute brandau's on the ground he's going to be in immediate jeopardy of being submitted with Ortega's ground game. So, you know, I just think I like Ortega in this fight. I just think um, I, I, I feel this way a lot when you got a guy who's a wrestler against a guy who's a submission artist. The guy who's the wrestler, even if he gets the fight to the ground, he's in immediate trouble because he's always in danger of being submitted. So I think the younger Ortega is a pretty clear pick in this fight. If, um, you know, if I had to pick up somebody cheaper as far as um, putting an underdog in my lineup, I would certainly lean towards someone like Lorenzo, Lorenz Larkin or even Arlovsky probably before I pick Brando. Yeah, uh, Brando to me, I, I don't like this matchup uh, for him for him personally because, uh, you know, unlike the last couple of matchups that we talked about that have similar salaries, I think we're talking about a little bit of a different fighter here um in this matchup for a, a couple of reasons for one you take a look at o- ortega who's minus 230 favorite which is very similar he isn't the um like natural aggressor that we have with miocic uh and that we had in the uh second hair fight uh with tumanov there he's not th- bombing away just 2.7 2.78 strikes um per landed per minute versus 2.61 for brando so they matched up well with each other um striking accuracy 46 percent. that's actually in brando's favor versus 41 percent for ortega 3.53 strikes um absorbed per minute for brando that's the difference here versus ortega at 2.85 so you know he's throwing a lower volume though it's just a slightly lower volume of shots uh brando is um you know in the striking game here but he's taking um a lot of shots um, being, you know, from his opponent there as well. Where so we're talking about strike absorbed per minute, three point five three versus two point eight five for Ortega. So Ortega's measured, and he doesn't let himself get hit as much uh, there as well. Now the other issue here is uh, Brando is is a uh, guy who's a factor in the ground game, three point three two takedowns 
uh, attempted per 15 minutes per three round fight. Takedown accuracy is actually 60% and the takedown defense is 80%. So if you're looking for a home run play and you wanted to get that, you would hope that Brandel sort of figures out a way to get Ortega on the ground since he only has, um, you know, 50% overall takedown defense. Um, and you know, that could be sort of, uh, where you could, you could pivot and say, all right, this is why I want to gamble on Brandel, uh, in this fight, because he's got that that tool in his toolbox that uh, Ortega isn't trying to explore nearly as much. Having said that, if he gets down to a jiu-jitsu situation there, uh, on average, Ortega has uh, attempted almost three submissions per contest. So people continually try to take him down. They get him to the ground, and um, Ortega, for his part, is getting his submissions off. So he's very dangerous, even if he is on his back. So um, I have no problem with anybody who wants to go with Ortega. I don't think it's close enough for you to make a case for an underdog. But there is a scenario that could that potentially happen if that's where you want to roll with um, in terms of using Brandau at 9,100. All right, the last fight, fight on the main card that we are going to preview, John, here is in the lightweight division. Abel Trujillo, 12-7 and seven with one no contest versus Tony Sims, 12-3 and three in his career in the MMA. Trujillo comes in at even $10,000 on DraftKings versus Sims at 9400 Fairly even overall. Vegas has them dead even at minus 110 money for this fight. How do you have this shaking out? Um, I am not going to try and uh, spin this. This is not a good fight. Um <laughs> It's hard to believe that, um, you know, Trujillo and Sims is on the main card of a pay-per-view. Um, for those of you who don't know, this was supposed to be Kyle Noak and Kelvin Gastelum was supposed to be the fifth fight on the on the pay-per-view. Um, Gastelum got injured, had to withdraw, so they replaced it and did some shuffling. Um, you know, this is very close. Um, as, you know, the as the, you know, certainly the Vegas odds say, um, you know, Tony Sims has not been, has not been in the UFC for very long. So, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot from him. Um, the thing is, we know, we know what Trujillo is and what he has been throughout his UFC career is, you know, very inconsistent. Um, he, you know, he defeated Jamie Varner, vicious knockout, which uh, in early twenty in early twenty fourteen, which was considered by many to be um, the knockout of the year. But every, you know, in his other fights, UFC, you know, he lost to Habib Nurmagomedov. He was submitted by Tony Ferguson. He was submitted by Gleason Tebow. So you know, Trio's been Trio's had plenty of chances in the UFC, and you know, he hasn't done much. So uh, you know, simply. I would. I'm picking Sims to win the fight. Only and the main reason is because we've seen what Trujillo has, and you know I don't think I don't think he has anything that we haven't seen. So, you know up until this point, you know Sims is a bit younger, so maybe you know he has a chance to provide a bit more on a fight to fight basis. But if I had to, I would probably stay away from this fight altogether. In um, as far as DraftKings goes, Trujillo. Trujillo's been inconsistent, like I said, and you know, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from him. And Sims is a guy who has limited experience in the octagon. So if there was, a, you know, a fight on this card where I would say, "Wow, well, well, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I want to stay away from it." This would be it. All right, fair enough. And I could see oh, why it could be sort of a, a potential coin flip situation here. I don't, I don't understand, um, you know, Tony Sims' overall game plan. Uh, to be honest with you, maybe it's just because we don't have enough of a, of a sample, like we said, just two fights here um, of record in the UFC. He is a southpaw. Other other than that, they all the measurables are all about the same. Trujillo is three inches shorter, but they have about uh, the exact same reach here. Now, what we do know about Trujillo here is he's a much more active fighter thus far. Um, and I think it's a little bit early to say we know the book on Tony Sims and his limited amount of action. But what we do know from the fights that we can take a look at um, um, with the stats we have for the fight metrics here, 3.28 strikes lineup per minute for Trujillo versus Tony Sims at 1.86. I never see anybody that we've ever talked about on the main card at least stay at 1.86. And like we said, limited amount of sample. So we ex- expect that to be adjusted somewhere. 
uh, overall. One thing that um, you also uh, need to note, the striking actually is 68%. That's also some something that's very high and probably not sustainable in Tony Sims' numbers. So it's very tough to sort of draw uh, information from this. But just to summarize what we know, and I don't want to detail all the numbers because they're not exactly trustworthy on Tony Sims' side. For Trujillo, um, 2.24 strikes absorbed per net. That's a good number. 43% striking accuracy is average. Defense, uh, 59% of strikes defended. That's a, that's about um, you know, uh, UFC class average there as well. One thing that we know so far about Trujillo is he is willing to take people down. 2.54 takedowns per 15 minutes there. Taking accuracy is 58%. However, he is terrible at defending the takedown, so he is very susceptible in that spot. But from what we know from Tony Sims in the first two fights, that's not in his in his repertoire. Not saying that he won't do it. We just haven't seen it as of yet. So I'm with you. There's a lot of unknowns on the side of this. I have to, If I had to side on one side here, I would probably take uh, Trujillo because he's more of the known, and we know that he has a little bit more of a, a well-rounded arsenal thus far uh in the ufc uh, but i wouldn't be surprised at all if the younger tony sims steps up as a southpaw and causes problems for him because it's very tough to game plan for a guy that has you know limited tape in this spot and i think this is why vegas is sort of calling it a coin flip it is and i mean the other thing that that concerns me a little bit about trujillo is you know he fights out of the black zillions in florida which is you know one of the better camps in the world and he's still been inconsistent and that that worries me a little a guy who's been in the ufc for you know a real extended period of time now and has you know been training the whole time with a quality camp and you know he still hasn't been able to put it together that worries me a little bit yeah i i agree with you there as well the black zillions also have a reputation of um sort of uh having a, a fair number of retreads and a, as well a fair number of guys that they've sort of imported from other camps uh, there as well. So it's not a lot of like, uh, not well known for homegrown talent. They're more known for having Rumble Johnson come over there and having Rashad Evans join the team and, you know, less, less so for uh, other camps and other teams like Greg Jackson and, you know, and ATT where they've had this development program long uh, growing there as well. They're a little bit newer to the game in terms of fight camps and um, Trujillo's not one of those guys you can say, okay, Solid camp with with a with a track record there as well. So a little bit, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in terms of uh, you know where where he's coming from in this fight. For all we know, experience wise, uh, with the number of fights, Tony Sims could have fought better quality competition outside of the USC compared to Trujillo. So um, that's sort of the whole unknown piece of it that we um, don't get to decide from, and why it probably makes a lot of sense to to stay away from it altogether. All right, um, that's going to do it for the detailed breakdown for the main card here. Now we go, we're on to the rapid-fire round here. John, we're going to start the Bantamweight petition with Michael McDonald. Now, we're not talking about Yamo B there here. Uh, we're talking about uh, some a fighter, not a singer. Uh, he's up against Masanori uh, Kanahara, who's got a ton of fights under his belt, 25-12 and 12 with five no contests here. Uh, King salaries have McDonald as a huge favorite. It's going to be very expensive to roster him, 11K on DraftKings versus Kanahara, 8,400. Vegas odds minus 550, Kanahara plus 425. I'm going to make uh, this simple for you. Any scenario in any world world where in which that you roster Kanahara for DraftKings? No, but I'm not so certain that I'd roster McDonald either. Um, you know, McDonald hasn't fought in over two years. He's had a ton of injuries, different things. Um most most noticeable, you know, most notably, um, he has, he's had hand and wrist surgeries. Um, they didn't heal properly. He had to go back in and get that fixed up. So, you know, the thing about McDonald is another guy who people just forget is people forget this guy's on the roster because we haven't seen him in so long. Um, you know, he is a legitimate Michael McDonald is a legitimate top five bantamweight. This guy has elite skills and he has a terrific all around game, you know, knockouts, submissions, the guy can do it all. And, um, you know, the scary part about McDonald is he hasn't fought in over two years and he's still just 24 years old. So, um, you know, he's, and he's fought, he's fought talented guys, you know, he's fought, he fought Uriah Faber, he fought Hennon Burrow, you know, he's fought quality guys. So, if he's healthy, which I assume he is because, you know, they've been trying to get him back into the octagon for quite a while and it hasn't worked out timing wise simply because of the injuries he's sustained. So I assume he's ready to go. 
And if he is, I don't think he should have much problem winning this fight. But, you know, like you said, it's a big number. Um, you know, 11,000 is an awful big number. And, you know, you, it's sometimes it's a good idea to stay away from a guy who hasn't, who hasn't fought in such a long time just because, you know, you're not exactly sure what you're going to see from him. You know, he'll pro- he's probably going to win. And, but, you know, is he going to win impressively? Is he going to, you know, is he going to whip out, you know, all those tools we saw from him in the past? So, you know, I, I would definitely pick McDonald to win the fight, but it might be a good idea to stay away from him just till, he's, just till he gets more comfortable back in the octagon. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing, too, about that is when we're talking about this price tag on DraftKings here at 11K, that's generally reserved for the, um, you know, the Mighty Mouses, uh, the, you know, Jose Aldo before Conor McGregor type fights. They're just the guys who are a lock to win. Right. Exactly. If you that should tell you something when he's priced up higher than um, Robbie Lawler at 9,800, who definitely has a tough matchup, Miocic at 10-5, and Tumanoff at 10-1, who are, you know, all pretty big favorites. But so, uh, you know, Vegas is ridiculously high on him, and I don't think it's it's going to be so, so tough for you to derive fancy value um, in your in your lineups if you're going to roster McDonald. So we're going to move on from there. McDonald's an easy call, um, and we don't really feel like there's any – Real shot to take Kanahara, but hey, we said the same thing about Holly Holm here not too long ago on the same show. Um, Welterweight division here. This is where I think we're going to try to hit some home runs and where you can really make a difference in your DraftKings lineups here, John, with these next two picks here. Kyle Noak at 22-7-1 versus Alex Morano, 11-3. DraftKings have these guys very curiously priced at 8,500 too um, for both fighters there. So you can take your pick here. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, Kyle Noak minus 250 versus Morano at plus 210. Uh, you like Noak. I like I like Noak as well. Let's talk about why. Yeah, I do like Noak in this fight. And like I said earlier, this was supposed to be Noak and Kelvin Gastelum. And I'm sure we're both in agreement that if, if this was Noak and Gastelum, we'd both be picking Gastelum. Right. But um, like you said, it's a little bit strange that both of the fighters are 8,500 DraftKings-wise. But at minus 250, Noak is a, you know, a fairly sizable Vegas betting odds favorite. So, you know, I think this is a, a terrific opportunity um, to get Noak in your lineup at, you know, a, a very cheap price. And, yes. you know, we know, you know, no, we both we've, we've talked about Noak on the on on the show before. And, you know, the guy's 35 years old. You know, he's not going to he's not going to show us, you know, new skills that we haven't seen from him. You know, he's been in the UFC since 2010. He's you know, he's been a pro forever. So, you know, he's not going to he's not going to show us a bunch of stuff that, you know, we haven't seen before. But he's no who has fought fought the majority of his career or, you know, a substantial part of his career at middleweight um, dropped back down to welterweight. Uh, now it's been three or four. It's been over three years ago, but he's had nice success since dropping back down. You know, it's three and one and. You know, don't get me wrong. He hasn't faced any. His last two fights were both impressed, were both Vins, but one was over Peter Sabata. One was over a guy named Jonathan Webb. Uh, yes, a guy named Jonathan Webb fought, fought in the UFC. Um, so, you know, he hasn't been, he certainly hasn't been, you know, lighting up the world as far as the competition he's facing. But, you know, as we've talked about on this show before, and, you know, as, as I generally feel, I try and stay away from guys who, we don't know much about and, you know, taking this fight on essentially about 10 days notice is Murano. And he's fought, you know, he's fought uh, his last few fights in legacy. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's never really fought in a notable promotion and, you know, taking a look at the guys he's fought in his career, he's really never fought anyone. You know, I'm sure that the majority of our listeners have ever heard of. So, you know, this is just the case for me where somehow they're the same uh, same price DraftKings-wise. So in that case, you know, you take the known quantity and the guy who, all things considered, you know, should win. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. DraftKings, uh, this is like a glitch in the Matrix or something like that. You have a minus 250 favorite in Noak, 
uh, versus Romano at plus 210, and they're priced exactly the same. It's an easy call. I think if, if you see somebody who didn't roster Noak, they made a mistake. So this, this is not the first time this has happened either. Yeah, it isn't. But, you know, just for re- for a frame of reference, too, we're talking about the in terms of bottom barrel pricing, like 8500 is generally reserved for the biggest dogs on the card, and we have a minus 250 favorite. So it's an autoplay. Don't think about it oh, twice. You, yeah. You just put an oak in there. And like like we talked about Kanahara, who we, you know, trumped up at the plus 425 dog against uh, Michael Yamo be there, McDonald. Um, he's you know McDonald's minus five fifty, and that and and Kanahara's a one hundred dollars cheaper than Noak. So there you have it, and we have a very similar situation uh, here, not in terms of two guys being priced the same, but uh, a you know a fighter here um, that it, like Michael McDonald's, who's very expensive and actually more expensive than uh, Robbie Lawler and Miocic here in the women's strawweight division with Justine Kish, who's four and uh, in her MMA career, facing Nina uh, Ansarov at six and four. DraftKings salaries have Kish at ten point seven k. Ansarov at eight seven hundred. Kish is minus two seventy. Ansarov at plus two thirty. Any reason we should be interested in Nina here versus Justine for this fight? Um, not, not, not that I can come up with at least. Um, you know, Ansarov is pretty much more or less roster depth at this point. Um, she had one fight in the UFC, her first UFC fight. She was beaten up pretty good by Juliana Lima. Um, the thing about Kish is this will be a UFC debut. Um, fights at a black house MMA, which is a good, good quality camp. You know, they're, they're pretty well-known guys to fight at a black house. And Kish, um, actually hasn't fought since January of 2014. So she's almost at two full years since a a fight for her. But the thing about Kish is her last fight was against Randa Marcos, who, um, you know, is, despite the fact that she lost um, just a couple weeks ago, Randa Marcos is fairly well known as one of the, or and recognized as one of the better straw rates in the world. Certainly an easy top 10, uh, Randa Marcos. And um, Justine Kish defeated her in her last fight. So this is another fight where, at least for me, where Kish is, you know, deserves to be the favorite. But it's not a fight where I look at it and say, look at either of the salaries and say that Kish is so much of a favorite that I'd be spending 10700 on her. And it's certainly not a fight where I look at Ansaroff and say 8700 That's a real value play. So, you know, this is one I would stay away from, especially when you look at the fight before this and you say, oh, wow, I can get Kyle Nope for 8,500 and Ansarov, who's a clear underdog, is 8,700. So I think I think the best play here is just, you know, just stay away from this one altogether. Yeah, for me, I'm 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 doing the same thing. I don't think you need to uh, make any sort of case for reaching in this spot. Not when we got one lock value play at super cheap. Uh, with Kyle Noak as, as well. So looks like we're going to have to kish the girl here uh, in our DraftKings lineup if you choose to use her at 10.7K. A little bit too expensive for me to actually roster her, but that's going to be our pick there as well. All right, we're going to continue the lightning round here. I know you want to talk about Poirier, so we can spend a little more time on him. Let's, let's see if we can breeze through a couple of these uh, bottom barrel fights here. Uh, lightweight division, Scott Holtzman, 8-0 versus Drew, uh, Drew Dober, 15-7 with no one, no contest. Holtzman at 10.4K, Dober at 9K. Vegas odds minus 160 for Holtzman versus Dober at plus 140. Your pick here. Uh, my pick here, clearly Holtzman. Um, undefeated, good all-around game, good submission wrestler. A good submission artist, good wrestler, good knockout power. Can do a bunch of different things. Um, the only thing Dober really has on his side in this fight is that he's younger. Dober's only 27. Uh, Holtzman is 32. But if we've learned anything from Drew Dober in his UFC days, it's that he's extremely inconsistent. You know, he's defeated a couple. You know, he's one in three in his UFC career. And the one win was over Jamie Varner, who, you know, clearly has since retired. So... Dober's inconsistency combined with um, what I think is some real upside for Holtzman, despite the fact he's 32. I think Holtzman is a clear play here, and I don't think give I don't think his 10,400 salary is all that ridiculous, especially when you look like I said before this. Justine Kish is 10,700. I would ease, certainly spend 10,400 on Holtzman a lot earlier than I'd spend 10,700 on Kish. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. So nothing else really to. Um, 
overanalyze about this pick. You you you, uh, you like Holtzman. He's good. He's a good pick and presents a little bit better value for, for one of the top options. Uh, you know, would like to see him as a slightly bigger favorite, but you know, could be in the mix for you depending on how you shake out your roster. I'm gonna skip over Pori and Duffy because I know you want to talk about this fight um, a, a little bit more in depth, and we can just close out the last two fights here. Um, with the Bantamweight division, Joe Soto, 15-4 and four versus Michinori Tanaka at 10-1. and one. DraftKings salary has this fairly even, 9700 for Soto and 9700 for Tanaka. Soto at minus 110, Tanaka at minus 110. Your pick here. You know, I like Joe Soto. I think he's a little bit underrated. Um, he was the first Bellator featherweight champion, which, you know, admittedly doesn't mean a whole lot, but it means shows he has some experience. Um, you know, for those of you who forget... Soto made his UFC debut in August of last year. That was when he replaced Henan Barrow against TJ Dillashaw in the main event of a pay-per-view on, I believe, I want to say it was 24 hours, less than 24 hours notice. That was the card where Henan Barrow passed out cutting weight and um, had to be taken off the card. So Soto stepped in and, you know, was knocked out by Dillashaw in the fifth round. But, you know, anytime you got a guy who can last five, you know, just about the whole 25 minutes against T.J. Dillashaw, you know, that's saying something. So I like Soto in this fight. Close fight, but um, Soto's always been a bit more, I've always found Soto as, you know, a bit underrated. Uh, Tanaka's obviously younger, and um, but he also hasn't fought the competition that Soto has. So this could go either way. Um, I would, I would, I would probably roster Soto if I had to pick someone in this fight, but this is another close fight. Yeah, for me, I prefer not to um, spend this much salary if I'm uh, going to be choosing because if I want to miss on a guy, I'd rather miss on a guy in the 8K range, you know, or under sub 9K range uh, rather than 9700 because it's going to put a serious cramp and you're going to need some more of your more underdogs to come through for you if you miss on one of your lines. You can still lose one fight in cash in DraftKings, but you you need to hit on the rest of them, and that's going to put a serious squeeze at almost near 10K if you if you pick wrong between the two. But I do want to give a lot of credit to Soto as well for, like you said, hanging with the best in the division in TJ Dillashaw for five full rounds uh, there as well on short notice. Last fight that we'll talk about, then we'll jump back over to the Poirier fight here. Walter White division, Sheldon Westcott, 9-3-1 versus Edgar, Edgar Garcia at 14-4. DraftKings have Westcott at 10.2k versus uh, Garcia at 9200. Minus 160 for Westcott, plus 140 for Garcia. Your pick here. I'll take Westcott to win, but this is maybe more so than any other fight on the card. This is a fight that I would just stay away from 100%. You know, neither of these guys have really fought anyone good. Uh, Westcott's a former Ultimate Fighter. He was in the Ultimate Fighter Nation season. But, you know, neither of these guys have really fought anyone good, and you know, they've both throughout their whole careers have both been inconsistent. So, you know, I think I think what I think Westcott is certainly the pick to win. But I also think that anyone who says they have, you know, a real comfortable sense of who's going to win this fight, I would say you're crazy because I don't really think anyone knows what's going to happen in this fight. Yeah, I agree with you there as well. This is one of the situations that we always talk about on the cards when you get to the bottom barrel fighters that don't have a lot of UFC exposure or pay-per-view exposure or fight exposure in general where you just don't put either one into your roster. You know, 10.2K is a little pretty steep for just somebody who's only minus 160. You'd like to and see when that. you do put someone in your roster, in a, on a, if you ever do in a, in a, on a fight like this, my advice would almost always be, if you have to fill out your roster, it would almost always be take the underdog. Right, you know, so, it just pray. I think you're going to pray you get lucky. Yeah, exactly. If you're if you're gonna if you're going to coin flip, I would rather spend less, and that way you give yourself a better shot with the fighters that you do have, and allow you to get bigger favorites and spend salary on better quality fighters. If you're coin flipping in a situation where you're not sure who to pick, and but like we said, we would rather just stay away from this fight and in the welterweight division altogether for, uh, for them. Let's flip to the uh, other fight that we wanted to quickly talk about here: Dustin Poirier. A uh, last fight that we'll sort of break down here. I'll have you break down uh, rather because uh, you know these fighters much more intimately than I do in this matchup. Poirier, been in the UFC for quite a while. It has a good record. 18-4 versus Joe Duffy at 14-1. Poirier at uh, 8,800 on uh, DraftKings in terms of salary versus Duffy at 10.6. Poirier plus 160. Duffy minus 185. Your pick to click here in your UFC lineup. You know, this is, it's, it's absolutely, considering this card, which certainly isn't deep, you know, it's absolutely crazy that a fight between these two guys is on the fight pass portion of the event. Um, you know, we were talking about this all fair before we came on. You know, the UFC is clearly trying to build up the, you know, the quality amount of fights that they put on fight pass 
you know, they just announced early, they announced last week that Anderson Silva and Michael Bisbing will be fighting on Fight Pass. So you're clear, they're clearly trying to build it up, which is the reason this fight is on Fight Pass. And, you know, this the fight between Duffy and Poirier was actually supposed to happen a couple of months ago in Ireland on a Fight Pass event, but it was actually supposed to be the main event of that card. So you have a, you know, you have a fight who just a couple months ago was supposed to headline a card and now is on, you know, the Fight Pass portion of a thin card. So, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little bit odd, but, you know, I think this is pretty much, this is going to be the last call to get on the Joe Duffy hype train. If, if you don't get on here, the car is going to be full and, you know, it's leaving the station. Duffy is the last man, which I'm sure you'll, if you watch the event on Saturday, I'm sure Joe Rogan will mention it 500 times. Duffy is the last man who um, defeated Conor McGregor. It was over five years ago, so it was, certainly wasn't recently. But, you know, he defeated McGregor. He defeated Norman Park. He's been ridiculously dominant in his two UFC wins with first-round stoppage victories in both fights. So Joe Duffy is really, really, really good. Um, you know, known, for, known more for his submission skills than his knockout power. But he certainly has the ability to put combinations together on the feet. Now, what what's getting what I think he's getting overlooked here is as good as Duffy is, Dustin Poirier is a terrific fighter. You know, he's lost he's lost three times in the UFC. His three losses are against Chan Sung Jung, Swans, Cub Swanson, and then he lost, obviously was knocked out quickly by Conor McGregor. So, you know, I think uh, I certainly like Duffy in this fight. I certainly think he has more upside than Poirier does. I would by no means surprised if, you know, a year from now you found Joe Duffy on the verge of a title shot. He's that good. But, you know, there's certainly some, there's certainly no doubt there's some value for Poirier at 8,800. 8,800 is a awful, awful, awful low salary for a guy of Poirier's skills, you know. In comparison, Nina Ansarov, who's basically just roster depth, is 8,700. You know, Poirier, who's a quality fighter is 8,800. So, you know, this, I think you can go both ways in this fight in the sense that I think Duffy is certainly the better bet to pick up, you know, the quick highlight reel stoppage, which would obviously earn you lots of points in your DraftKings lineup. But then Poirier at 8,800 is a a really good value. So, you know, I think this is why, I certainly think Duffy would win. I think this is one of those situations where you know you look at how you want to construct the rest of your lineup and then you look at this fight and say oh all right well i kind of need a good value play somewhere put in poirier you look at your lineup and you say oh, i got some extra cash and then you play duffy all right for me uh be- because uh of the quality of joe duffy for this i just don't see how I, uh, you know, I I want to go against him, fourteen and one, like absolutely rolling. And one of the guys at minus one eighty five, where I'm going to pay up, I might actually feel a little bit more comfortable um, in the spot versus a, a guy like uh, Miocic, who you have to pay a similar price for against Ar- Ar- Arlovski. I do uh, definitely like them both, and it, it could be tough to roster them because you'll have to probably go down into the eighty ish k range, like like with Poirier, in order to keep two 10k guys in your lineup like this so uh you're gonna have to sort of pick your poison here but i definitely do like joe duffy as a call uh, i like you the up-and-comer in the lightweight division um i think this is going to be one of the last times you see him and no disrespect to poirier who does have a, a legitimate shot uh in this fight I just don't think it's good enough for for me to roster him in my DraftKings lineup um you know uh, uh in this spot so we'll we'll see how this uh ends up progressing there my pick is duffy as well I th- uh, you know i certainly think this is safe i think you we both agree that this is certainly probably the last time we're going to see Joe Duffy on the fight pass portion of the card. Right. I mean, sort of like he's got the same sort of trending upward arc, but with much more fights than some other like state. Unless he's headlining a card in Europe or something. You know, right. other than, this is he's never going to be on the prelim portion of an event. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Same sort of trend as a guy like Stage North Cup, but with a much better track record. You know what I mean? Like the the. the, the the fight and the the star is skyrocketing because he's running through the fighters that he's fighting, and you know the UFC can't book qu- like quality enough fighters um, as we go. And Poirier nope. is one of those guys, but you know it's gonna you know pretty soon we're gonna have to talk about him you know you know squeezing his way into the top five in the division, and then we'll we'll see him you know uh, you know as a higher grade 
uh, fighter making a case to headline some events if if it continues in this. Right, but Duffy is. I mean, Duff. The, 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 you know, but I mean, don't get it wrong. The main difference between Duffy and North, a guy like Northcutt, is Duffy isn't all that far. You know, Duffy's right. Duffy's ready to go now. Yeah. Against top flight fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, Northcutt's a guy who is you know his best days. You know, he's so young. What is he? Twenty or whatever he is. His best days are going to be three or four years down the road. Sure. You're going to see Joe Duffy in huge, huge fights within the next 12 months. Yes. I totally agree with you there as well. So, um, yeah, the only thing that we sort of have to uh, do here is, you know, uh, pick your pick your poison in terms of, you know, because we, we indicated Kyle Noak as a guy that you can sort of make a case for here. So you're going to have to make a tough choice here with a guy like, you know, uh, Doro for 9K or, you know, if you want to go – with the unknown Sims versus Trujillo, you're gonna to have to pick your poison somewhere uh, with 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 a guy in terms of of Kyle Noak as well. So we've given you some top options. I know we are mostly on the chalky side of this here as well, but uh, I think John did a good job of saying, hey, if you're gonna take a shot with a couple of these players, and this is you know one of the spots that you're going to um, you know book your underdog. And aside from Kyle Noak, uh, we've given you some some uh, options you know, to take Lorenz into consideration. Lorenz Larkin is another guy who you know you can take a shot at and yeah. just, you know, hope he lands his knockout. Or like we said, you know, if you're really, if you're looking for something and you're not sure what you want to do, take a guy like Edgar Garcia, you know, in the, in the, in the first fight who, you know, mm-hmm. we both openly admit we have no idea what's really going to happen in that fight. Right. So, you know, you take a guy like that and mm-hmm. at least, you know, you're more, I, I would say you're more likely to get lucky in a fight where, both guys aren't very good and no one knows what's going to happen mm. as opposed to a fight where you got guys who have established track records and you're looking for a real upset. Yeah, I, I agree with you there as well. So maybe I could actually retract from the wealth right fight and say that might be the second best spot to go with Nar- Garcia along with Kyle Nook as your two underdogs and then lock up the the three big guys that you think can score the most points in your DraftKings lineup to take down that first place prize. All right, and that is going to wrap it up for the Rotowire DFS Podcast MMA Edition, talking 195, uh, UFC 195 for DraftKings MMA. Don't forget, you can always follow John on Twitter at John Littering. That's J-O-N Littering. You can check me out on Twitter at Josh Hayes FS. Don't forget to check out John's fine work on Rotowire.com under the MMA tab. Thanks for listening to the show. We appreciate you subscribing. Don't forget to leave a review and uh, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, and we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.